Good morning to you all. Um, just a, a little thing with the overhead. The reason some songs are on and some are not, it's not anything that anyone's doing wrong at the back. Um, to put music on the screen, we have to have a license. And the license has just been renewed. It had run out, it's been renewed, but it hasn't clicked on yet. And so there's some songs that we just can't put on without redoing the whole system. It's complicated, but it's just, um, it's, it's, not, it's not anyone's fault at the back. They're doing a great job trying to make it work. Um, but it might be the same tonight as well. Some songs might be on, but by next week, everything should be back up and running as normal. Who enjoys receiving gifts? I love receiving gifts. Um, both of my girls are working now, so my gift-receiving potential has increased hugely. This year, I had my first proper year where it was my birthday and both my girls were working, and I got about 80 quids worth of presents off each of them. It was brilliant. It's nice to receive gifts, isn't it? But it's also good to give gifts. Who enjoys giving gifts? I think it's something you enjoy more as you get older, isn't it? I always used to begrudge it as a kid. But I've enjoyed over the years uh, watching the kids find the Christmas presents. We normally have one present or two presents that we, we hide somewhere. We'll put it in a microwave or we'll, we'll I don't know, we'll put it in, a, in the kettle or something. We'll say, go and make us a cup of tea and hopefully they, they see it before they make it. I enjoy watching Liz open gifts that I bought for her. So what is a, a gift? I can't boast in a gift, can I? I can't, I can't boast in a gift. I, I might say, look at this, what Liz bought me. Or look at this, what Chloe got me. But a gift's something that's been given to me. It's not something that I've earned. It's not something that I've necessarily deserved. It's something that's given to me. It's gifted. And without it being gifted to me, I wouldn't have it. Last Christmas for Caleb's big present... I got him the Tottenham home and away kits. Um, he's not in kids' sizes anymore, and so the, they cost an absolute fortune. But I loved seeing his face as he opened them. If I hadn't have gifted him them Tottenham kits, he wouldn't have had them because he cannot ever afford them. See, a true gift is, is a gift that you can't provide for yourself. You can't buy it for yourself. And God's a God who loves to give undeserved gifts. He loves to give gifts to us that we couldn't get ourselves. He's given us a, the, the greatest gift of salvation. He's forgiven our sins and he's taken us into his family and he's cared for us and he's promised us heaven. We can't boast. We can boast in what he's done, but we can't boast in what we've done there, can we? We could never do that. We could never save ourselves. We could never keep ourselves. But also he's given gifts to his church. He loves to give gifts. And in Ephesians 4, we, we, we read about the ascended Christ, how he gives gifts. And he gives gifts for a very specific reason. In Ephesians 4, it says he gives gifts to build up the church. God's given supernatural gifts to people in his church. Now, you could say that all gifts are supernatural because they all come from God and God's supernatural, but, but, but God's given us natural gifts as well, hasn't he? So before some of you were converted, you could cook. 
And you can still cook now, but you'd use that gift for Jesus, but it's a, it's a natural gift from God, you'd say. Or some of you, before you were converted, you had a lovely voice, and you still have a lovely voice, but, but now you, you can use that more for Jesus, or, or you, you could organize, and now you use that for Jesus. They're great gifts, but the, the natural gifts. But the gifts that Paul's talking about here, the, the supernatural gifts, they're given by God to specific people in the church after they've been converted in order to bless the church. And that's what we're going to think about over the next few weeks. Any gift is always God's gift. We can't claim a gift as our ability. It's a gift. And Paul spends three whole chapters dealing with spiritual gifts and the place in the church. He spends more time dealing with spiritual gifts than he, deals with, than he spends on anything else in this book. The trickiest chapters, chapter 14... That's where he really gets into the nitty-gritty of, of how these gifts should operate. But before we get to chapter 14, we have two whole chapters preparing us for one chapter that actually deals about the gifts. Why do you think that is? Because Paul's dealing with the Corinthians. Paul's dealing with a church that say, well, my favorite preacher is better than your favorite preacher. Paul's dealing with a church that when they have the Lord's Supper, when they share communion together, people use it to show who's higher in rank than someone else. So you know what's going to happen when the Lord starts giving gifts to people in the church, don't you? My gift's better than your gift. More people have been converted and blessed through my gift than your gift. And so before Paul talks about the gifts, he has to spend two chapters talking about unity and love. It's almost as though Paul suspected that an emphasis on the gifts has the potential to divide a church. So Paul has to start right at the beginning, but in doing that, he gives us a brilliant framework, not just for gifts, but particularly for gifts, for understanding spiritual gifts and the place in the church. Look at verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Read between the lines. What's he saying? I think you're ignorant. I don't want you to fall out over this because I know you're going to fall out over it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul makes it clear. The church in Corinth, he says, you are short in no spiritual gift. The gifts are in evidence in Corinth. And again, before we dive fully in, what, what gifts are Paul talking about here? Well, he lists them in verse 8. This is it's probably not an exhaustive list, but these are the main ones. He says, and, and I think, to be honest, as, as we go through, we see that these are ranked in, particularly when it gets to the apostles, that they're ranked in importance of how God uses them. A word of wisdom, that's a gift of speaking into a situation. A word of knowledge, a particular ability to understand something. Insight, faith, a particular gift of faith, perhaps evidenced in prayer. Discernment. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. That's perhaps the most controversial and hardest gift to discern, isn't it? The tongues. It's what everyone talks about. But it does seem to mean that it's the ability to speak in a language that you don't know. And it was practiced alongside someone with a gift to interpret what was being said. So how do we think about the gifts 
I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'll tell you where I am. Um, but I don't think this is something that you need to be exactly where I am with it. I think that within the church, generally speaking, I wouldn't generally expect the non-teaching gifts to be on display week by week in the church. I say generally. We don't want to say God can't do something. But when you look at the gifts on display in Corinth, when you look at the gifts on display in, in, in Acts, in the New Testament, there were gifts to authenticate the Word of God. It, they, were, they were in places where they were new to the gospel. They were in places where they, they didn't have the full canon of Scripture. But once that the churches are established, once that churches have the Bible, we expect the Word of God preached and taught in the power of the Spirit to do the job that a lot of these gifts were doing. Does that mean God can or never will display all of these gifts? No. I think especially with new works in new places when he's authenticating things. But my understanding is that we don't often see these gifts on display as they were then. It's the same with apostles. We don't have apostles now because apostles were for a certain time and place. And I think there's even a hint in chapter 13 where Paul says some of these gifts will fail. Some of these things will pass away. So you can disagree with me on that. It's absolutely okay. I don't see it as a matter of vital importance. I'm not talking about what happens in private times of worship between you and God. The thing that's really important, the thing that Paul, Paul isn't talking about what your private experiences with God are like in your quiet times. He's, he's talking about how these gifts should be used in the church. So the big issue isn't even the gifts that God gives. It's what we do with them. It's how we use them. And that's the principle, I think, that wherever we fall on, you know, what, what we think about the gifts now, there's a principle that helps us to think about how we use the gifts in the church. And we, when we come to the end of chapter 14, it, God is a God of order. So when we consider spiritual gifts, I'm not talking in context of your personal times with God. Paul's talking about our gifts are to be used when the church is gathered. And I think there's three ways that Paul shows us how these gifts are to be, to be used in the church. How can we tell whether this is genuine or fake? Well, the first thing is this. Spiritual gifts always proclaim the lordship of Christ. Spiritual gifts always proclaim the lordship of Christ. We see that in verse 3. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard people declare Jesus is Lord and then walk away from Jesus. So what's Paul saying when he says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit? I think it's this. Spiritual gifts, the test of a spiritual gift, is that it will always glorify and increase the lordship of Jesus Christ in someone's life. So if you say, I've got this gift, and we don't see submission to Christ in your life, we can say, well, that's fake. I've got this gift that's going to bless the church. Well, if we don't see people in the church growing in the Lordship of Christ in response to that gift, we can say it's fake. That's the acid test. The spiritual gifts will always glorify Christ and increase our submission to him in our, in our lives. Has this gift, or has the use of this gift, increased my love and commitment to Jesus? Has it increased Jesus' authority over my life? 
And look at the logic Paul used in verse 2. He's quite blunt. He says, before, before you were converted, he says, you were led away by dumb idols. So these people in Corinth, before becoming Christians, they'd been involved in pagan worship. They'd worship gods who couldn't speak or couldn't move. It's a bit like when you see people flood into these temples um, to worship gods that are made of stone and whatever. But we are told that the worship of these idols carried them away. What does Paul mean? How were they carried away? When these people were worshipping these dead idols, these dumb idols, they were having real spiritual experiences. Why could people have a real spiritual experience while worshipping a fake God that's not even real? Because Satan's real. The demonic world's real. You can have a real spiritual experience with Satan. Satan's the master counterfeiter. He loves to counterfeit what God does. Satan can move people emotionally. People can have demonic, powerful, spiritual experiences. And that's why Paul says the acid test is that it makes you glorify Christ more. That's why we don't mess about with the occult, because it's real. That's why we'd say to kids, look, don't mess about with Ouija boards and stuff like that. It is real. You can have, you can have spiritual experiences that are nothing to do with Christ. I remember as a kid, we used to go to this um, big conference. It was called Solid Ground, but it was anything but Solid Ground. And, and I remember being, I was only about 10, and I remember being in this big tent, and it was like, you know when you go to Alton Towers or something, you've got that big dome, and you're on the roller coaster, and you're swaying? It was like that. Everyone was swaying, and people were saying stuff front front. And I was swaying, and I fell over, and I thought, I've had a, I've had a spiritual experience. So how do we know if a spiritual experience is from Satan or Christ? It's not whether we feel moved, it's what we're moved to. So someone said, well, this experience was real because it moved me. Yeah, but what did it move you to? If a spiritual experience leads you to lose control of your senses and be rolling around laughing and barking and whatever, it's not of Christ. If a, if a spiritual experience elevates a certain man or a certain woman, it's, it's likely not a Christ. But if your spiritual experience leads you to love Jesus more, appreciate him more, devote yourself to serving him more, it's likely genuine. That's the acid test. If you're trying to examine the ministry of a gifted preacher or teacher, ask the question, does their teaching, does their ministry glorify and promote the lordship and authority of Jesus, or does it encourage you to just live your best life now? Spiritual gifts aren't selfish. Spiritual gifts proclaim and, and promote the lordship of Jesus over our lives. So the big question when we, have, when we talk about gifts and spiritual experience isn't, was the experience real? The question is, did the experience promote the Lordship of Christ? So when you had things like the Toronto Blessing years ago and people were uh, falling over at Benny Inn concerts, they're real experiences. But satanic experiences are real. Does the experience increase Christ's authority in your life. The exaltation of Jesus is the clearest sign of the Holy Spirit being at work. Second thing is this, spiritual gifts profit all, not just me. We see that from verse 4 through to verse 11. 
Now, whether or not we think the gifts are still in, in corporate operation the same, exactly the same way as in Corinth, that's not the big issue. If you think that, that's, that's, that's fine. But the principle still applies. The spiritual gifts were given for the advantage of everybody in the church, not so that an individual could parade their spirituality. Not so an individual can have an ecstatic experience that doesn't benefit others. Not to mark out a small group of believers as elite or particularly spiritual. Paul says the spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of everyone. Look at verse 7. It's really important, verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God gives spiritual gifts to individual people to benefit the whole church. Not for an individual. That could knock off a lot of what we see as being gifts, couldn't it? And then Paul lists a load of gifts that we've already looked at before, saying in verse 11, the same Spirit who works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is one of the big ones, I think. I've had this said to me loads of times. Has anyone ever said to you that if you're a real Christian, if you're real spiritual, you'll have this specific gift? Anyone said that to you? I've lost count of times people have told me, if I was a real spiritual Christian, I'd speak in tongues. Well, not according to Paul. According to Paul, the Spirit gives the gifts individually as he wills. And according to the end of the passage, he says, do all do this, do all do that, do all do this. Of course we don't. Nobody has all the spiritual gifts. That's why the Holy Spirit gives them out amongst the church as he sees fit. In verse 5 and verse 6, he says, There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works in all. See, in the church, it's not about one person having it all. That's not how churches work. That's how cults work. A cult is where one person has everything. The church is where none of us have got it all, but together we have it all. The church is one body, but it's made up of parts. And God individually gives us gifts so that we can bless the body. So what's the acid test to determine when we think about gifts, whether they're from God? Does it exalt Christ? And is it a blessing to the whole church? That's what's important. Am I exercising my gifts that God's blessed me with to build up his body? Some people have a real gift of teaching, God-given gift of teaching, a God-given gift of understanding, a God-given gift of wisdom and speaking into situations, but they use that gift either to get their own way in church or cause division. But our gifts build up the church. Our gifts never create division in the church. Spiritual people build up the church. Third thing is this, that Spiritual gifts exalt Christ. Spiritual gifts bless the whole church. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are primarily for use within the body. We see that verse 12 to, to 31. I think this is the most important thing, practically speaking. When Paul talks about spiritual gifts in Ephesians, he says that these gifts are to build up the body. See, we don't, I don't think we have rogue gifts outside of the body of the church. This is why the doctrine of the church is so important. Of course, you, can, you, know, you, you get saved. There's not a church for 100 miles. Can I be a Christian? Of course you can. But you can't be a Christian. You can't be used by God if, you, if, you, if you're not willing to be part of the church. 
We don't have rogue prophets who are unaccountable to a local... Well, we do have rogue prophets who are unaccountable to a local church. That's why we call them fake prophets. They're a bloke who always used to be prophesying different things to my dad. But he'd never come under the authority of a church. We don't have, you know, pastor so-and-so ministries limited. If that pastor, or, or not pastor, that preacher isn't part of a local church. So, when, you know, when you see someone on the TV and it's got so-and-so ministries, that might be great. We, we have Alistair Begg ministries. I really benefit from him, but he's, under, he's, he's part of a local church. When, when we see someone, so-and-so ministries, but there's no affiliation to a local church, some are dodgy. You don't have someone who goes around as an itinerant preacher sharing the gift, but they're not part of a local church. The local church is massively important. We're not to have our own ministries, yet we can use our own ministries. We don't have to do everything as a church, but we don't have our own ministries outside of or contrary to the local church. Paul makes a brilliant point in, in verse 12. He says the body's one and it's got many members, but all of those members are one. We're, we're different and we're separate and we're, you look at us and we're different. We've got different personalities, we've got different sense of humours. But we're all one. What, what is the human body? The human body is a perfect example, isn't it, of unity and diversity. That's what the church should be. Seven times in the next couple of verses, Paul talks about us being one. The church is a body with loads of diversity, but it's one body. No one organ in the body can work independently of the others. They need each other, don't they? I need a heart, but I need more than a heart. I need a brain, but I need more than a brain. And there's some ridiculous imagery in verse 15 to 17, isn't there? Here's a foot, and the foot says, I'm not a hand. I'm different from an hand. I, I, I can't write, and, uh, and you know, I, 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 I can't hold a glass. I'm not part of the body. If God's given this gift, if God's given them this gift, but he hasn't given me this gift, and I'm not part of this church, am I? Or the foot says, well, I can walk, but you can't. You're not part of the body. We, we say, hang on, stop being silly. You're a foot, you're a hand. You're both part of the body. You're both needed. Or instead of me standing up here, now it was just a massive eye stood up here, like that one in Monsters, Inc., Would that mean that an ear is not a part of the body? No, that's ridiculous. We complement each other. I need, a, I need an eye to see and an ear to hear. I need a mouth to speak and I need hands to touch. But how often do people think or say that we all have to be this or we all have to be this to fit in? The church is about unity, not uniformity. We don't have to be the same to be united. Some gifts are upfront gifts, aren't they? If, if, if God has given me, I think God's given me a spiritual gift of teaching, it's an upfront gift, it's more noticeable. But it couldn't happen without other gifts in the church. If all you had was a preacher, who, who would see administration as a spiritual gift? But it's there, and it's ever so important. We'd close down if we didn't have the right policies. We'd close down if we didn't have the right groups and teams functioning but I'm, that's not my forte. I'm rubbish at stuff like that. Nobody would see or hear what I preach unless we have gifted people on the AV team. No matter how hard I try, 
don't ask me, Mandy, to do craft things for the holiday club because it's not my forte. But it's yours. God's gifted you at that. We're all called to be caring, aren't we? But God's given some of you a specific gift of caring. I've experienced that. You, you know, you've got like, you almost got a radar for care needs. And you notice something, and I thank the Lord that he, he, he prompts you, and you see the care need, and you respond, and that's a great gift. I generally have to be told about a care need. But some of you notice them. And that's why we're talking on the AGM a little bit. It's not just that you have a one-person ministry. We have a, we have a whole church ministry. God's gifted some of you with exceptional conversational skills. You're superb at welcoming people. You're superb at getting to know people and putting them at ease. Nobody's got all of those gifts. But together as a, as a church we have, because that's how God's designed us to work. We're dependent on each other. We don't compete with each other. We complement one, one another. And God sees the parts. This is lovely, this. We're told God sees the parts that don't get recognition or honor, and he recognizes and honors them. Think about a body. Someone can call out, what, what part of the body would you like to be if you could be a part of the body? Anyone? Anyone fancy being the brain? Pretty important, isn't it? A bicep, an eye, an ear, a mouth. I don't know, something, something good. They're good parts, aren't they? Who wants to be a colon? Who, want, who would like to be a small intestine? John O'Wood. Ever so important body parts they are. I'd rather have a colon than an eye. And it's body parts like this that's in mind when Paul talks in verse 23 and 24. Imagine a body that was eyes, ears, mouth, nose, but no colon, no small intestine, no male and female bits. Those bits are never on show, thankfully. But they're ever so important. And God sees them and God honors them and God values your gift. What good would it be if we had a gift of preaching and teaching on display, but you didn't have, I know we're all to pray, but you didn't have prayers in the church, praying in the background? What good would it be if you had someone teaching up the front, but... We had no one who was welcoming and no one who were caring for people in the church. Don't, don't dismiss your gift because you think it's a background gift. It's essential to the body. Don't ever dismiss anybody else's gift because it's not your gift. And of course, we know, don't we, that we know there are parts in a body that you could do without. You could manage without an ear. You could manage without an arm. And, and in the church, there are priorities. It's not that they're more important as in the people who've got them are better people, but teaching and preaching, they're essential gifts to the body. But the more we make it about one or two things, the less healthy a body is, isn't it? If all we do is take care of one or two parts of the body, we, we've got to take care of the whole body. See, a healthy, body, a healthy body, we're told, rejoices together and mourns together. Have you ever 
had an infection in your toe or your finger. Tiny. And your whole body hurts, doesn't it? As, as you know, I broke my leg once. Don't like to talk about it. Did have a plate in it. I'll show you the scar if you want. You know what? When I came out of hospital, I was off work for three months. I slept every night like a baby. But I've lost loads of sleep when I've had a cut on my finger that's throbbing all night. Because something small like that affects the whole body. And that's how the church should be. That when one member's hurting, we, we all hurt. Have you ever been poorly? And you've been poorly for ages. Again, I'm not making it about me, but I've been, I've been poorly for four weeks. And I'm just getting to the stage now where I'm almost feeling better. Lovely feeling, isn't it, when you've, you've been feeling rough. And all of a sudden, you get that day when, oh, feel well. I'd not appreciated how, how it is to feel without this or without that. It's a lovely feeling. And we rejoice. Well, the whole body rejoices. And that's how the church should be. We, we rejoice when people are well, spiritually. The gifts will always be more effective when we press into the church body. The gifts that God's given us individually will always have more effect as we use them within the body of the church to bless others. As the gifts are practiced in the body, it's very important, verse 26, there is no schism, no division, no cliques. And it's also very important, verse 25, that we care for one another. As we live out our lives in the church, God's given us gifts. Far more important than the gift that God's given you is how you use it. As brothers and sisters, we're, we're called to use the gifts that God's given us to proclaim and to, to deepen the Lordship of Christ in our lives and in other lives. We're called to, to bless the body with them. How are you using the, the gifts that God's given you? Are you using them? Do you see yourself as having gifts? Because he's given gifts to us all. And we want to use the gifts that we've got to build up the whole church, not just me and my mates. And we need help to do that because it's very easy to fall into that trap. It's very easy for preachers to use their gift to impress other preachers. And it goes over the, complete, the sermon goes completely over the head of the people that's in front of you. It's very important as you've got a, a gift for whatever in the church to, to use that gift in a way that actually doesn't end up blessing anyone because it's impractical. You know, your, your, your gift of doing whatever, you do it so professionally that, that it, it doesn't bless anybody. We're not called to be individual Christians because that would be like a massive eye walking around. It would be weird. We're called to work and serve as part of the body of Christ. Whether you're a, an eye, an ear, a finger, a toe, a colon, or an intestine. And that requires real grace and it requires real sacrifice. And Paul's logic is this. When we've understood that, we're still not ready to talk about the gifts. We need another chapter first on the greatest gift of all, the gift of love. The sacrificial love that Christ has for us and that we're to have for one another. And then, when we've understood the importance of unity, when we've understood the importance of sacrificial love, when we've grasped all that, that we're to 
we're to use our gifts to glorify Christ, to build up the church sacrificially with love, then we're ready to think about what the gifts are and how we can use them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give gifts to your church. We ask that you would give us spiritual gifts. Lord, we don't want to say no to anything you've got for us. But Lord, we don't want to be selfish with gifts. We don't want to use gifts to glorify ourselves or make our own way. Help us to, as we practice the gifts that you've given us, to, to glorify Jesus Christ, to love one another, and to bless your church, we pray. Amen. What are we singing as we close? Okay, we're going to sing again as we close, Jesus, take me as I am. We'll sing it through twice. When he, that's Christ, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the ministry, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the whole body, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that as you have given us gifts, that we would use those gifts to equip the saints for works of ministry, that you would build us up as a church into maturity. Protect us, we pray, and bless us, we ask. Amen.